folks, this is Trust Me, I'm a Student, the podcast where we unpack co-production. If you're new to our co-productive community and would like to know more about what co-production actually is, check out our first episode, Co-Production 101. I'm Madeline, and I'm part of a team of 11 student partners that have been evaluating the Greater Manchester University's Student Mental Health Service. This week, we're shaking things up a little bit. We've got two new partners to the podcast, Joe and Caitlin. And while our previous episodes have been looking at using co-production in service delivery, and specifically our project, in this episode, Joe extends that to cover the higher strategic level of social policy, and Caitlin covers the more immediate or on-the-ground impact to the therapist-ex-service user relationship. In this episode, we're going to be looking at how policy has worsened mental health, especially for disadvantaged groups, and looking at how it has done so through the changes to benefits and also the cuts to services. We are also going to touch on how decisions at policy level are made without, seemingly without the well-being of people who will be affected by these changes truly acknowledged. And we will be touching on how co-production is an alternative and can be used in both policy and therapeutic interventions. So hi, um, my name's Caitlin, I do psychology at University of Manchester and I've got quite a flummy cough right now, so I'm going to try and control that as much as possible so you don't have to hear me hawking at the back up. <laughs> um, my name's Joe and I'm studying a Master's in International Relations and Global Communications at Manchester Metropolitan University and I don't have a cough um, as of yet, but I am prone to stumble over my words, so we'll <laughs> see how we go. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I mean, we're just going to discuss kind of definitions of co-production, how they can be applied in the context that we've been researching. So I know Joe had one to start us off with. Yeah, it was it was a more general one by um, a, a paper by Barker and Jeremy in 2018. And um, it simply says that co-production is the co-design and co-delivery of a project or service that involves professionals and service users. Yeah, it's really nice. And that is like quite a good kind of general one because that can be kind of applied to any healthcare context. Mine is a bit more specific to the therapeutic interventions, which is what I find interesting. And it's from a paper by Springham and Xenofontes. I hope I've said the last name right. And it says that we broadly define co-production as people who use and provide therapy services working together to develop a therapy in such a way that values both the consensus and differences between each perspective. And I really like that because I think co-production is good because it does celebrate all the differences and how like the individuality of a patient within therapy which I enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree that that captures, to my understanding, um, co-production at its essence and what we've experienced within our project, um, mm. working as, as student partners. Um, the I suppose, like, um, it may sound obvious, but I suppose it's important to touch on the, I suppose, the, the, the purpose of co-production, like the, mm. the, the merits and benefits of it. And, it, the, the aims in in a healthcare in a healthcare setting, um, and in the same paper that I just referred to, um, the authors state the co-production um, has to be um, ha- it has been used sorry in commissioning health services um, relatively recently, so it is a step in the right direction mm. because it's getting patients involved at a policy level instead of relying on patient involvement when they're seeking treatment. Um, and the aim is fundamentally to empower the patient to use the lived experiences to foster positive change. And 
It can address misconceptions about service user diagnosis and reduce the gap between service user and provider. So I think that last point especially really plays into what you were saying about celebrating differences and just mm. erasing this, I suppose, dynamic, you know, between service user and provider. Yeah, definitely. I think I love the term empowerment because I do, I know that's part of working a part of this project. I hope that we can empower the students that we're doing our research with, but also I feel like very empowered myself in terms of my own mental health. And I think it's right, like celebrating the differences, like even I know I keep referring back to our team, but like even just the difference of courses and our team, like and the different knowledge that comes from that. And I think it's like crazy to me that people are making healthcare for like people, so for instance, like people with mental health difficulties and like, why would you not involve them in it? Like, it seems so stupid that someone who is maybe neurotypical would make policies for neurodivergence and be like, right, well, my viewpoint is the best and I know what it's like to be them. Even though I've never been them, I can definitely provide healthcare for them, which they're going to like. Like, it just seems like silly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it does. And I suppose that's why, um, you know, we're very privileged to be part of this project mm. and have that insight and to, um, yeah, and to, to spread the word of the, of the very, um, the, the various virtues of, of co-production. Um, so I think to um, start off with a policy context, um, it's better, I suppose it's better to kind of like go broad and we're speaking here about the last, um, the last 11 years really in, in the UK. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot to, um, there's, there's a lot to kind of um, condense, I suppose, into this, you know, we've, we've only got um, half an hour or so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I suppose it's just to apply that context and the reason to do this isn't to make any kind of partisan political point at all. It's just about putting the facts in front of people and just, it's just conveying the concepts that practitioners and patients are operating within really. Mm. Um, so yeah, just to briefly summarize, um, so the, the devolution of um, a provision in 2013 for healthcare, um, which meant that local authorities were given new legal responsibilities for improving and protecting the health of the local population. So the responsibility was being moved um, from public health to local government, basically. Um, and with that came austerity cuts. Um, so this was not only to mental health services, to the to the amounts that were given to local government, but also um, more widely austerity cuts such, um, such as um, social security um, and the, it, it was very much in keeping with the um, the rollout and the sentiment of the rollout of universal credit of austerity, frugality, all being in it together. Um, but unfortunately, it's you know it's had quite a negative impact on on mental health in ways that you know that, that play into both of our I suppose our disciplines. I suppose I should qualify here. My undergrad was in social policy when I started this project. Should have been clear about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just to kind of like um, just to summarise, really, um, it has had a disproportionate um, impact on the most vulnerable and the form of wor uh, work conditionality that was part of the Welfare Reform Act 2012 um, has been linked to um, adverse like mental health outcomes according to Cummins 2018 and just to um yeah just to present you with some stats so across England the work capability assessments which briefly are people having to prove their eligibility to for benefits essentially um being 
means tested and having to demonstrate that they're unfit to work basically mm-hmm. there's a lot of scrutiny there um, and it's been linked to 590 suicides um there's 279,000 additional cases of self-reported mental health problems and 725,000 additional prescriptions for antidepressants that was um up until 2018 and it's just awful like because it's easy to see the statistics there as numbers but that, that's people that's people's like real lives that's like families who've lost like family members due to services not providing what they should provide but they can't provide it if they don't have the money due to austerity and oh god it's it's horrible yeah absolutely and and that's it and of course like you know it's always good to look at the the etiology of this you know we don't want to make any any claims without finding the link so it i suppose it's important to qualify that there are strong arguments to be made for the exacerbation um and even like the precipitation at some mm-hmm. level of mental illness through this welfare retrenchment um, and the implementation of these work capability assessments and wider work conditionality. Um, the economic hardships, which have been forced on many families as a result of welfare, um, yeah, they are, you know, they are imputed to mental health and understandably so. Um, but yeah, and in a service level, and I suppose a more specific level, there have been, um, yeah, there have been a lot of cuts. So for example, in England, 62% of mental health trusts reported lower income of funding at the end of 2016-17 than they had in 2011-12. The total amount of income that mental health trusts received in 16-17, it was 11.829 billion. Um, So that's 105 million less than um, 11-12 at today's prices. So, and this this has gone across the board as well. So it's um, it's also, manifested in cuts to children's services which i think is really i I think is really important in the context of our uh, of our project of evaluating our service the greater manchester university student mental health service um because it means that further upstream um children at school level and before reaching university weren't getting the you know the help for severe mental health problems that they need they weren't having early intervention yeah and like this is, this is like a personal anecdote i hoping to be like a, a child clinical psychologist today because i feel like if you can if a child is struggling with mental health issues if you can get in there it's you can get it can be about prevention rather than treatment because prevention is always so much more beneficial than treatment and i completely agree with everything you're saying because like as doing our service like if we can help there can be services there that can treat children and kind of prevent it that means that they won't get to uni and have to go into dmmh with these like complex mental health issues and the stats that you're telling me is just like horrendous considering like the current climate (laughs) yeah yeah but this is this is where we are and um you know to to state once again you know of course you know we we do have our you know our own sentiments on this and i mine that very much echoes um caitlin's but we're saying that this is this is where we are and this is what we're having to operate with and i think that um commissioners have to be and i suppose like anybody hoping to to get a better understanding of of this context has to be cognizant of you know of that of what we're offering what you know mm-hmm. um professionals and patients are operating um, in the context of um I briefly mentioned inequality um the marmot review um there have been several um but I suppose, put most simply, in 2010, identifies a clear link amongst um, poverty, inequality, and mental health, and poor mental health, should I say, mental mm-hmm. illness. 
Um, and this is easily explained um, by, well, coming to explain that it's, um, as it's easily explained by the stresses of the daily experience and pressures of living in poverty, such as debt, worrying about being able to cope with emergencies and precarious accommodation. You know, that kind of stuff can all contribute towards poor mental health, which of course are exacerbated by, you know, inability to work and reduced income. Um, yeah, so I suppose, you know, the groups that are disproportionately um, affected are those already of low socioeconomic groups and mm. um, who are the most likely to be in receipt of benefits. So you can see, you know, a correlation there. You can understand yeah. how it's cutting people's uh, resources. Um, but also, it must be mentioned that um, um, BAME service users, um, mental health service users, will, are less likely to have access to talking therapies or... Um, other alternatives um, to medication. So it just seems that yeah. there was inequality here because of, there, was a there was a correlation between um, um, BAME individuals and um, low socioeconomic status in the UK. So a lot of this you kind of like looking at areas where um, certain um, groups maybe um, maybe reside in and you know on a geographical level, but. But yeah, I think so. The data can be received as a result of policy decisions that are made without the consultation of these disadvantaged, disadvantaged groups. Um, so co-production, conversely, would seek to offset these inequalities, which have been perpetually engendered by hierarchical decision making without the insight of such service users. Um, and yeah, and I suppose our project exemplifies a different way of analysing the merit of services. Um, and their impact on different demographic groups because we essentially want people to be experts as experience. You know, as you touched on before, Caitlin, you know, these decisions being made without people's almost consent and like, yeah. you know, opinion on how, you know, useful this would be. I don't, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree because thinking about what you talked about, it seems like the austerity cuts have been made. They've been like, it's like the personal and like the public that they've made cuts to the mental health services was also making cuts to like people's general incomes which is causing to the mental health to decline but then they can't even get help from the mental health services because they're cutting their mental health services and like you said there's no consent to it like there needs to be more done I feel like co-production just because you just it's about listening to people it's about really taking on what people are saying and empowering them that like you've already said I just completely agree with everything you're saying. And, but I guess the issue is trying to make companies want to use co-production, which hopefully if anyone listened to this, do it, do it. We, we are definitely encouraging it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why it's, it's useful to say, you know, like what, what it could look like, I suppose, in mm. a, you know, in a context of, you know, building a, a, a mental health service that is holistic and does, acknowledge these inequalities and these um difficulties and the inefficiencies so i suppose like with that example like if co-production was applied to trying to really understand why um BAME individuals in, in britain are less likely to have access to um non-medical therapies um it would be a case of like recognizing these gaps acknowledging them and you know given those who are affected by it a a platform to help solve these problems and, and question why this is you know like why certain areas may have um less funding why perhaps people 
you know, arse looking through the, the net of the welfare system. It's, there's just so many. I mean, it's it's a lot to go through in a small, um, mm-hmm. in such a small amount of time, but this intersection and inequality, it keeps rearing its ugly head time and time again. And yeah, and I suppose briefly because we have, um, I do applaud you for staying awake with my um, grey matter <laughs> of, of policy here. Uh, <laughs> because, I, you know, um, obvi- but obviously it's something that you, that you two are knowledgeable about. So I don't feel as as, as, as much of a bore. I'm trying to make it as digestible as possible. Yeah. Um, so thank you for bearing with me. But yeah, I suppose anecdotally as well, um, it's something that I can, you know, I can relate to. So without, you know, going into a, um, a self-indulgent, <laughs> you, you know, um, reveal of my own life. I mean, I accessed, I accessed um, mental health services in 2010 before these cuts came into play. Um, and I was able to receive um, a lot of care. Um, when I was really poorly, there was even home visits. Um, and then skip forward to when I was poorly in 2014, and it was nine day. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so that's. So that, I think that really kind of like wraps up the the summary that we provided yeah. of that. So I, I'm I'm interested to hear about your research now. Um, so I've just kind of been looking into therapies as I think eventually your policy is interesting. It's definitely not my areas, but too many numbers. Whereas I'm more of a like a qualitative, get it all on the page, get lots of interviews, and we kind of already discussed this. Springham and Zenofontes, and in terms of the definition they gave and they looked at using co-production in different art therapies and I think art therapy in general is kind of a really amazing way to use for therapy as um a lot of therapies in terms of treating people especially specifically with trauma um there can be issues of speaking like a lot of people kind of mute and also sometimes people's traumas the people who might have been causing the trauma can be, can be kind of making them not want to speak to anyone. You get lots of children who will start to go mute after experiencing stuff like childhood sexual abuse. So art therapy is, I think, an amazing new thing, but like, we're not talking about that right now, so I could definitely talk about that a lot more. And he kind of just looked into it, and there's this one quote that I just really, really loved because I, I just, it resonated so much with me. And um, it was, I am the master of my own recovery, not the therapist. And I think it just really resonated with me in terms of co-production because they people talk about, you know, you can only change if you really want to change, which is kind of the basis of a lot of therapy. Like in terms of like CBT, you have to actually want to do it. You have to go do your therapy homework. You have to stay engaged with it. And I think that co-production just makes it so much more easier to engage because you actually have this kind of a lot more personal relationship with the therapist and you're trying to find a way of using the therapy that's going to benefit you individually and I think that's so important because like people are so different like we all have such different needs and it's it'd be stupid to just say like oh right we're going to prescribe you this CBT and this is going to work for everyone who comes into this service because it's not like that's just like it's just would be ridiculous to insist on that so using co-production in therapeutic interventions means that you can get your personalized therapy. You can have these long communications and discussions. And I think that's just something that's really important to me. And obviously there are issues of it. Um, as you get more personal with a the therapist, it can change the dynamic a bit more, which I think can be something that can maybe put therapists and services off doing it in worries that it could become unprofessional. But I think that 
as long as it's monitored and as long as we train people to do it and like to do it well I think that the results could be like astounding wow yeah um yeah equally it resonates with me as well the, the quote that you mentioned there about the um being a master of one's own recovery and not a therapist I mean it's I'm sorry and not the therapist being one you know being one's own um, master um yeah and that kind of and that self-involvement as well I mean that is something that I think we use that word empowerment before mm. um and I think it really um is really apt with this in, in particular um yeah so it's just it's I mean to, to me this is just yeah another indication I mean of course we've done a lot of reading with we're privileged enough to experience a lot throughout the project of, you know, I mean, you mentioned before, Caitlin, about, um, you know, how it's, how it's benefited you and in, in your, in your confidence and your mental health. And I think it's just another testament to this. Definitely. I think another thing that was found in a different literature review in my mind was the way that co-production can work to reduce stigma. And um, how you've also talked about um, BAME groups earlier, I kind of talked about how it can help in that way, vein groups, because um, in the, they kind of reviewed like a load of different projects, one all over the UK. And um, there's one called the Wandsworth Model, which kind of works incorporating faith centers into it. So people have Islamic faith and how that could really work to reduce the stigmas in those communities because, um, sorry, I'm going to cough. <laughs> a lot of people can, who are of that faith may feel a bit more judged, but also just like stigma in any part of it, like stigmas in communities and that you've done a lot of work with um, male mental health services and trying to recruit males. So you could probably talk a lot more about that than I could. But co-production, because it can said that it had three aspects, because it reduced stigma experience for professional staff, there's less stigma in access and services and reduced stigma from the community. So it's kind of hitting a triple threat. And I think that the way that kind of mental health awareness kind of exploded, reducing stigma is definitely the next step to help people get the support that they need and that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, like it's, it's it's threefold there with the example that you've given. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it really um, harkens back to the um, the comment that you made about um, you know, celebrating and um, tapping into people's identity and not having to make people jump through mm. hoops to fit some rigid, um, uh, I suppose, line of requirements yeah, yeah absolutely I mean like the word prescriptive because so that can uh, the, the way that I've seen in kind of like in non-co-producing you know traditional you know um, health healthcare services our traditional hierarchical model is people making decisions off um, regarding um, not only talking therapies but also um, the, the kind of in low-level mental health drug for example um for a while it was virtually and it was the salafram and, and it was prozac for a while that's a brand name i think it's floxetine <laughs> is the, the official name so it just seems that it is you know it is um quite prescriptive <laughs> in the sense that it's a blanket one size fit all and as you said like you know you said before that like it really yeah that isn't the reality is it that it's going to work that way and i think also like from just working my degree um, we recently discussing, or well, I say recently, last year we were discussing how um, diagnoses might even become redundant anyways because it seems stupid to just say, okay, you tick seven out of these 10 boxes, so we're going to give you this drug and this therapy. And it does seem stupid because people can have, there can be such um, comorbidity between um, different mental disorders as well. 
And I think that co-production can just be used in therapy interventions to make it needs focused. And that's why I think it is so beneficial because you don't just want to treat people like, almost like, almost like they're robots. Like mm-hmm. you have the X, Y, and Z. So we're going to give you X, Y, and Z. You want to have the conversation, the dialogue. And that way I think you're going to make progress so much quicker if people feel empowered like you said people feel listened to people feel validated with their feelings instead of just feeling like okay well I've been told that I have this disorder so I can only benefit from these things when in reality like and also I think co-production can really open it up to maybe more um what would be the word like unorthodox treatments mm-hmm. like I guess art therapy can be classed kind of unorthodox like I know from the research we've done people have talked about yoga therapy and like puppy therapy which I feel like everyone wishes <laughs> they could do um but I think it kind of pulls you away from just sticking to this is what we've done for the past 20 years so we're going to stick to that and never change it I think co-production can really fuel imagination and innovation yeah no absolutely and um yeah and it, it just seems so um I suppose it just seems so draconian is probably not the right word i suppose it just seems so antiquated mm. um the fact that like people uh you know because you're making a lot of assumptions out of seven i imagine like scale questions you know that ultimately determine somebody's treatment um and it seems that you know it doesn't really honor difference and it's not inclusive because there are so many vagaries there are so many factors that can determine one's um cause of you know of, of mental ill health you know um socioeconomic um ethnic cultural um gender-based um sex discrimination other forms of identity it's you know it's just you know it, it, yeah the co-production really does offer a more holistic approach to um to to service mental health service creation and also like you said there's you know it, it honors people's experiences experts by experiences is the line really it's something that's yeah. spoken about quite a lot in in policy unfortunately not implemented as much as it should be but this is really kind of the hallmark in policy for co-production um but, and then to be able to look at it on a level of you know of your your area of, of, of study and to like and kind of the front line if you will from a practitioner and patient point of view and how it filters down and how what wonderful things such as art therapy yoga therapy puppy therapy you know can derive from actually listening to people and like trying to respond to their needs and to me that's a great testament to the virtues of co-production mm, i definitely agree i think it's just listening and also co-production like i think you said previously reducing the hierarchy and reducing kind of the gap between maybe what might be the therapist and the patient and kind of just making it a bit more of a communal thing where you can all agree on stuff. And and, and it doesn't mean that people have the idea that co-production means that you're going to give these like clients or patients everything they want. It means that you talk to them about why they want it. And that was one thing that was really interesting in the blog was she had this discussion with a patient where um, the patient just wanted the therapist to be like, I want you to tell me to do this thing. And, and, the, and then the therapist was like, well, we need to talk about why you want me to tell you because it's more beneficial if you can work out a way to tell yourself and and then by having that discussion have that co-production about all the needs and what the patient wanted from the therapist but also helping the patient then realize that what they thought they wanted might not be what they wanted at all but when you have just like a really strict regimented thing there's no room for discussion and i think yeah. i think that's just so useful which i've tested so many times but i do i do think co-production is useful and i really hope that more services and it can be in at all levels because 
it just makes sense like it just makes sense <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know i know that you've done a comprehensive literature review um you know as part of our project we're having to to deal with this with this you know, handle this kind of data of um you know from various reports every you know every every working day and you know we have had some great insight to it experientially as well haven't we as, as we've mentioned so i think like summarily we can see how over the past 10 years in the uk um a combination of cuts and threats to to mental health services and to um also more broadly social security has impacted on mental health the legis legislative changes for the provision of mental health services and how they are prescriptive, restrictive. And then of course, we've been able to look at how, what, you know, what under the world could be with, with, with what you've touched on. It's, it's interesting, it's like really there's there's a rigid spine, that, mm -hmm. there's a rigid kind of like spine of, of, of inequality and uh, lack of effective treatment that trickles down or kind of, I suppose I'm mixing a metaphor here, but kind of, um, um, you know, is apparent throughout um, policy and then on to, um, you know, a, a level of, of treatment and most importantly, you know, patient experience. And as you said, the, you know, there is another way. Yeah, I think that I like this fine because I feel like co-production can really like flesh out the body, it adds like a lot more. There's not saying there's no benefit to the rigid spine of what's been done before, but there's so much and that 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 won't help you but there's so much more that we can do that could be even more beneficial so why wouldn't we do it yeah yeah and i think I that mean, we're coming to the end of our podcast i'm just like trying to keep an eye on the time as i know that we're both quite big ramblers <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah of course but you know it's um it's 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 from a it's from a place of passion it's a place of um you know wanting to really lord the merits of co-production and we do hope that this episode has given some context um as succinctly as as, as we can um in, during the time constraints um but yeah it's been it's what uh, well, well i for one have, have really enjoyed this um this conversation and well them for not coughing too much you might <laughs> keep that back hitting the mute button i've really enjoyed it too and we hope that anyone who's listening to this right now has enjoyed it too and so bye for now bye bye thanks for listening to this episode of trust me i'm a student make sure you subscribe to this podcast and tune in next week where Alice and new partner to the podcast, Shaheen, will be talking about how co-production might be used in student contexts. After all, this is Trust Me, I'm a Student. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Trust Me, I'm a Student, and there we have tons of links and stories if you want to know more about co-production, or read our show notes, which is a PDF summary of the show. If you'd like to know more about our evaluation project, you can find us at Greater Manchester University Student Mental Health Service Evaluation on Facebook. We'd like to note that unfortunately we cannot offer mental health support through any of our channels, and if you're in need of that, you should contact your local crisis line, GP, or University Mental Health Service. Special thanks to the University of Manchester for running this evaluation project, and to the Office for Students for funding it.